Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and it's not to be interpreted as medical advice. Here is our host, Rebecca Rogers. Hello and welcome to our program, Lifestyle Improvement. This is your host, Rebecca. Today we have with us Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer. Dr. Jacobs is a clinical psychologist and family therapist with more than 25 years of experience and the author of the book, The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers, Looking After Yourself and Your Family While Helping an Aging Parent, a book that was previously featured in our program. Dr. Jacobs has been a national spokesperson on family caregiving for the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, and he blogs about caregiving for the American Association for Retired Persons, better known as AARP. He's a contributing writer for several other publications, including The Psychotherapy Networker and The Huffington Post. Dr. Julia Mayer is also a clinical psychologist with nearly 25 years of experience and the author of the book, A Fleeting State of Mind. She specializes in women's issues, including caregiving and other relationship concerns. Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Mayer are joining us today to share their latest book that they have co-authored, AARP Meditations for Caregivers, Practical Emotional and Spiritual Support for You and Your Family. This book is a compilation of more than 150 personal stories used to frame significant issues connected to the caregiving experience. AARP Meditations for Caregivers has received praise from well-known experts in the field. Today, we are proud to have both authors join us to talk to us about their work. Good morning, Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Mayer. This is my first of having two wonderful authors talking to me at the same time. Thank you for being my testing ground. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having us. Glad to be here. So let me start with the obvious questions. What made you decide to write a book like Meditations for Caregivers? Uh, so I, I'll give it a, a try at first, and then, Julia, then it'll be your turn. Uh, I have been uh, writing about family caregiving for a long time and, and, and often focus on the very difficult aspects of family caregiving, uh, the uh, the burnout that people face, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the anguish that they feel. I've, I've spent a lot of years writing about family caregiving, focusing on the negative aspects of caregiving, talking about uh, the potential burnout, uh, the anguish that people feel, but that really doesn't capture the entirety of people's experiences. When we talk with caregivers or when we reflect on our experiences as caregivers, we find that there are really a lot of positive aspects that are often overlooked. I feel like um, we were given the opportunity to write this book at the perfect time for us. Um, you know, we've both been in practice for 25 years or so, and our practices have um, at least mine has gradually increased in the number of caregivers that come in and need support and, and uh, help with their mm-hmm. And in addition, uh, we were taking care of my father, uh, who um, needed care after my mother passed away suddenly. After my father finally passed away, we'd been taking care of Barry's mother and stepfather, and then the idea of this book came along, and I thought, this is the perfect chance for us to kind of process our feelings, talk about what it's been like to do all this caregiving. And, and I feel like between being psychologists and actual caregivers, we had a lot to offer around how to make the most of it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what this book does. It gives people 
some hope and some encouragement, some inspiration, maybe even some humor to get through it. Dr. Jacobs, in your book, you share several of your own personal stories. And thank you for doing that because both of your stories are so touching. I fully agree with the idea that in order to be a better caregiver, we can benefit by first exercising self-acceptance. I think that's extremely powerful. However, that idea is not as easy to accomplish for many caregivers out there that feel conflicted about expressing their feelings without having to deal with some of the guilt that is related to that. So what advice would you give someone that is neglecting their personal feelings because they think this is not what matters during the caregiving crisis? Uh, I would say to them, and I, and I say to caregivers very frequently that it is normal and expectable for them to have a range of feelings, both positive and negative. And some of those negative feelings include anger uh, and, uh, and resentment. Uh, and that is that, you know, none of us like to feel those things, but in fact, they, they're part of the journey. And when people can accept that they have these feelings, uh, but it doesn't dissuade them from continuing to caregive, um, then, then they actually feel better. Uh, it, the, the worst case is where people beat themselves up for the feelings that they have, that they, they, they feel guilty for, for feeling anger. And uh, that, that doesn't help anybody. Uh, so we're all human. We, we're all fallible. Uh, these, this, these are difficult uh, passages in people's lives. We, we have to be kind to others and we have to be certainly kind to ourselves. And that means accepting that we're not always going to be uh, delighted to be doing caregiving. Thank you. What is your take on that, Dr. Mayer? I, I feel like when people feel guilty, I, even though it's difficult, I would like them to see it as an opportunity for growth and learning. If, if you've had a rough time taking care of your mom and you've yelled at her and then you go to bed and you beat yourself up, I, I think take that as, okay, what went wrong? How did I lose it? What triggered me? What did she do that takes me back to some old state that we had some old dynamic between us from the past, you know, what could I do differently? How could I hear her or, or observe her behavior without being so reactive to it? Um, and I think we learn from that. You know, the, the best thing to do with guilt is observe it, notice it, figure out how to avoid it in the future by understanding what how you got there in the first place. Absolutely. Those are great words of advice. Also, Dr. Mayer, I love one of your stories about how you got your in-laws interested in eating by pretending they were in a restaurant. <laughs> I thought that was great. I That was a wonderful idea. And actually, with my mom, she's gone, so I can't try it with her, but I'm certainly going to try that with my dad. That is so creative. And you also talked about the need to be creative and flexible during caregiving. And obviously, that idea was fantastic. Well, I, my father-in-law, who had Alzheimer's, was um, resistant to eating. So if we put a, you know, a plate in front of him and let him take his own food, he'd take enough for a little child. And he had lost a lot of weight before we brought them up to Pennsylvania, where we lived. They were, had been in Florida. So I thought, I'll just serve a whole plateful of food and see what happens. <laughs> they had nothing to lose. <laughs> And, um, and I kept it light. I joked about it. I said, you know, this is our down-home diner. And because I joked about it and because he had Alzheimer's and so, you know, his short-term memory was so limited, the lightness of the mood really also helped. And um, I tried to set a tone that we could have a pleasant time and they wouldn't even notice how much they were eating. And they both 
as I said in the story. I think that's great. Did they give you any tips? No, I, I had them take home leftovers, though. That was good. <laughs> that was really good. How about you, Dr. Jacobs? Any creative ideas or, uh, that include some of that flexibility as well? Uh, well, talking again about my stepfather, uh, I mean, he would get very agitated at times and, and, and very paranoid. Uh, but he had been an, a, uh, an inveterate golfer. He had spent uh, 15 years uh, playing three times a week on, on the golf golf courses in Florida. And so I knew that if, if all I, if the only thing I did for him was turn on the golf channel and let him sit in front of it and just watch the, you know, look at the rolling greens uh, that it had such a soothing impact on him that um, pretty soon he, he would forget about whatever he was agitated about and we would go along having a very pleasant conversation after that. That's wonderful. And I think that creativity really is something that is so important. But yet when you're dealing with life-threatening situations, it's sometimes thinking about being creative just seems like it's a foreign thing, correct? Well, Who has time to think about that stuff? <laughs> it, it seems like such grim work, you know, And but but really it, it, by bring, bring, bringing a spirit of light and playfulness to it, it makes all the difference, especially with someone with dementia who is people may not people with dementia may not understand every single word you're saying, but they pick up on the tone. And if, if the tone is playful and light, uh, it puts them at ease and, and they sometimes they can play along. Exactly. And, and there comes, I guess, that piece of co-regulating when you're feeling good, when you're playful, when you have, you know, humor, then that kind of changes the whole relationship. And it really brings positivism like you were talking about in your book, it makes it more of a positive environment altogether. And it's more fun for us, too. Otherwise, it just becomes, you know, this drudgery that we have to get the tasks done, you know, check check off the, 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 the tasks from the list. Uh, and, and it really takes away from whatever kind of relationship we might have with the person we're caring for. Much better to tease and play and, and uh, enjoy. How about the issue of anxiety and fear? This is a difficult challenge to manage, especially if you are dealing with life-threatening health conditions like we just talked about, and an uncertain future because for some caregivers, they're helping their loved one come to the stage of the end of their life. What do you advise as a strategy for a caregiver to deal with the here and now so that they're able to be more focused on the beauty of the moment versus the fear of losing someone they love? Uh, there's a common phrase in, in our culture called, you know, uh, one day at a time. It actually comes out of the, the Alcoholics Anonymous movement. I think that there's some wisdom there that, that caregivers can draw upon and that, you know, tomorrow is, is not guaranteed. And oftentimes tomorrow is going to be... Um, uh, less happy than today, just just because of the decline of your loved one. Um, so, you know, while we want people to be able to plan, and, and, and it, planning is extremely important for caregiving, and we want them to have some idea of, of what's coming down the pike. We don't want to, them to dwell on what's coming down the pike. We want them to, to plan accordingly, develop contingency plans. And that means um, being able to just be with somebody, be present with them. And, and take them in because we want to really cherish them as we can, uh, not knowing uh, how, how much longer we really have them in our lives. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? 
In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. I would just add that one of the things that we talk about is gratitude and that remembering what is good, even when things are grim, really helps. So even if uh, someone is taking care of a, a very ill parent with a lot of needs, the fact that they have that time with them and that they can connect, whether it's through humor or even just, you know, feeling close in, in a variety of ways, uh, we want them to, to do that, to be present for that and to remember what they can feel grateful for so that as things decline, which they always do in the end, um, they can look back later also and say, I had that time and, it, and at the time I knew I was fortunate to have that time. So then when they look back, you know, they're, they're remembering that they made the most of it. What we don't want them to do is look back with regret. It's really important to even when we're doing caregiving now to be sort of mindful of how it's going and what it means so that when it's all said and done, we can look back with peace of mind and, and even feel good about what we've done. Beautifully said uh, from both of you. You know, my daughter is a, a photographer and she's actually taught me this, which I think is, has been really beautiful and helpful to me, that when, when we're having really special moments, she tells me, mom, take a picture. Take a picture in your mind. Really, you think about it. When you take a picture, what happens? You have to be there. You have to make sure that you're looking at everything around you, that all the conditions are correct. What we have to do is we truly have to take that moment in which we take away all the distractions and right there take just the right picture. That has been so helpful to me. I love that. Image. I know. I give total credit to my daughter for that. Because every time now that I have those moments when I feel like, okay, I need to be more present, let me take that picture right now. And it's a beautiful thing. I have wonderful pictures in my memory of my mother when I took those pictures and I just stopped and took those pictures. And, and they really are mental pictures that last forever, as long as you're able to remember. When you talked about the here and now, that was really what came to my mind and is such a great piece of advice connected to the gratitude because when you are present, then you have a tendency to be a little more grateful than worrying and anxious about the future, correct? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it balances that anxiety because you're you're not going to stop worrying, but at least in the moment, you can remember that this is a nice moment. Everything's okay right now. So I, I think that the uh, the instances that we've had uh, over the years that really capture those moments are, are really meal times, uh, and we had many meals with uh, my mother and stepfather for years. Uh, 
and where really I, I had that sense of where, you know, every meal could potentially be the last meal. And, and eventually, you know, after my stepfather first went into a nursing home and then died, uh, it, it, we, that group of folks were no longer sitting at the table anymore. Uh, but but to enjoy the meal, uh, th- those are the moments that I, I, you know matter the most now in looking back. You shared personal stories and experiences concerning setting limits, including the time when your mother was not feeling so well and you had to change your plans for the evening and again be very creative and design the activities a little different that evening so you all could be together. But many times setting those limits is really hard because our loved ones may not be ready to let go of some parts of their independence and their ability of to say, I still can do that. How do you recommend that caregivers deal with that challenge? Keeping in mind the respect that you have to have for those loved ones that are still our parents, still adults, but yet now are dependent, and we still want to give them that honor and respect as they have loss of independence. We had a really tough time uh, getting my mother to use a walker, and I, I think uh, it really was simply a matter of vanity, uh, and, uh, and nobody wants to be dependent upon a walker. I mean, it, it symbolizes so much, and yet at the same time, she her balance was and is very poor and she was falling a lot. Uh, and so we, we didn't, uh, we didn't push it to, we pushed it as much as we could without insulting her. Uh, but it, every time she fell and, and, hope, and didn't get hurt too badly, it was an opportunity for us to say, now <laughs> we had a conversation about a walker and about avoiding the situation again. Um, and it, it really came to pass that she just decided that she needed to use a walker, that it became her decision rather than something that was being forced upon her. So we, we, uh, we urged her, but, but kept, kept uh, as respectful as we could. And then circumstances uh, just played out that, that she, she eventually adopted the walker and now uh, doesn't fall as much. The hard part of that was the patience that we needed while she resisted and fell and then resisted again. And eventually it worked out, but it, it, was a, it was hard to tolerate knowing that she was not being as safe as she could be. But that's a really common experience, I think. It, it, it was hard because she would get hurt. And it was hard because when she got hurt, it hurt, you know, she, she broke bones and she had very, very bad skin tears. We would spend another night in the emergency room. And having done that many times, it, 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 was, it was tiresome um, and uh, also avoidable. And, and I, so it, it, in those moments, seeing the ER, I would have to be biting my lip to not say I told you so to her. Uh, but in fact, that's what, exactly what I was thinking, uh, that she, she could have avoided this if she had just taken some precautions. She knew that too, though. <laughs> and it's such a fine line, like you said, because, you know, you're dealing with people that are... Their cognitive status is deteriorating. The evaluating how much is poor judgment, how much can you really expect them to make the right choices, and no different for parenting because you're waiting, you're hoping that cause and effect will kind of teach your children what to do and what not to do. At this other end, of course, you're dealing with the other issues of people that have lived a whole life and were the ones to teach us those things, so many different little elements that you have to deal with. Well, so along those lines, Rebecca, I mean, I, I, I talk a lot with caregivers about this idea of, of receiving with grace, about how important it is f- to um, encourage folks to receive care, but then they have a choice of doing it begrudgingly or doing it graciously. And when they do it graciously, they, in fact, 
or giving a gift to someone else to enable someone else to feel good about caring for them. And so I actually had conversations with my mother about how I, you know, I could empathize with her, how difficult it was to be on the receiving end of care when she had spent her entire life providing care for everybody else. And she liked to be in charge of things. So now she was, she was losing uh, that, that sense of herself. Um, but I also said to her, you know, you can make this hard by, by really fighting us or you could accept help that really is necessary and then make this an easier experience for us and also help us feel good that we're caring for you. And so that's, that's a choice that you have. And eventually that, that she got that and she began to receive a little bit more graciously. I have a favorite story about that, about uh, caregiving my dad. So uh, we were all, uh, I have three siblings and uh, we all have kids and we were all visiting him after my mother passed away at the house that they had lived in for decades. And all of my siblings said to me, and I, I think it's because I'm a psychologist, they said, you got to get the car keys from dad. And uh, I, I, this is one of the stories in the book. And um, so it was really uncomfortable, as you can imagine. He had you know, been driving for his entire life, but he'd had uh, a number of strokes and he'd had occluded vision and he really shouldn't, be dri- shouldn't have been driving. So I sat down with him, but at the same time, uh, my daughter was a teenager and she had just gotten her learner's permit and she was there too. And she had talked to him about how she couldn't wait to get a car. I sat down with him and, and I said, it's really time for you to stop driving. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about you harming yourself and other people. And there's so much at stake. And, and he looked at me, it was very painful, but he looked at me and he said, give me some time to think about it. And I said, Okay. And the next morning we were all sitting at brunch together and uh, he kind of ceremoniously lifted up the car keys and, and gave them to my daughter and said, I'm giving my car to you. And it was really just um, an amazing moment of him doing that, receiving with grace. And I hear there was great compassion in how you approached it as well. And I think that he probably was receptive to that compassion and that care and that understanding and took that step forward of courage. It, it was really hard for him. It was hard for me. And I guess we were both aware of that. And uh, I just, I, I can't really get over his, his generosity in that moment, because it could have been so ugly. And instead, it was this wonderful thing mm. that we all remember. Thank you for sharing that wonderful story. Uh, I was going to ask another one of your personal stories that you share talks about paying careful attention to those little things that people we care for try to do because they still makes them feel like they can make a contribution. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yes, I, I'm thinking of one story that I wrote um, that's in the book about uh, uh, an Italian grandmother who uh, can't, doesn't really want to be in charge of all the cooking on the Sunday dinner, but her daughter and the grandkids find a way to keep her in an important position. And, and um, it works out well. I, I think it's really important to encourage our care receivers, our loved ones, to do what they can do and, and as much as they can. And that, you know, if there's a way for us to aid or guide them in that so that they can continue feeling valuable in the family system, that it's so crucial. And it's so rewarding for them as well as, as for the family members. I, I have a story along those lines. And, and, and it's a story of, I worked years ago with, a, with an accountant who had frontal temporal lobe dementia and his wife. And, you know, he had been used to running uh, everybody's finances, not just his own family's finances. But it got to the point where he really couldn't add and subtract anymore. But his wife was, was literally so sensitive to, to trying to maintain his dignity that they would sit and do the bills together. 
he would he would write out the bills, write out the checks. They would put them in the envelope. They would put a stamp on the envelope. She would say, let me take them to the post office for you. He would hand her the envelopes. She would go down the hallway, open the envelopes, and just redo them all, um, but, but had left him with the impression that he was still paying the bills. Um, and that, I, I think, uh, helped him maintain his, his, his sense of himself uh, through some very bad times. That's, that's beautiful and gracious and compassionate way to deal with that, to allow those people that we care for that have lost so much independence still feel like their contribution is a powerful one because we acknowledge and we appreciate what they've done and for the love they still feel for us and basically for the, the role that they played in our lives. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and it's not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part one of our interview with Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer. Dr. Jacobs is a clinical psychologist and family therapist with more than 25 years of experience and the author of the book, The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers, looking after yourself and your family while helping an aging parent. Dr. Julia Mayer is also a clinical psychologist with nearly 25 years of experience and is the author of the book, A Fleeting State of Mind. She specializes in women's issues, including caregiving and other relationship concerns. Dr. Jacobs and Dr. Mayer have joined us today to share their latest book that they have co-authored, AARP Meditations for Caregivers, practical, emotional, and spiritual support for you and your family. And don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part two of our interview with Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer.